0: Uh, if you're new here, my name is Joel, and we have uh, been going through the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, for a while. We are in chapter 7, so we're getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We, we plan to finish it next week, um, but we're just, uh, we're just at the kind of penultimate phase here, looking at uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 12 to 23. And uh, so we'll have that read to us uh, just now. The video will come up and uh, we will have the reading.
1: (laughs) Today's reading is taken from Matthew 7, verses 12 to 23. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognise them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So if every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognise them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
0: Okay, let's just pray. Father, we're grateful to you for the kindness you've shown in in speaking to us through Scripture. And we ask you to do just that now as we look at these words. Send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds. Cause us to see your goodness, to see the glory of the gift of your Son, Jesus. Help us to understand how great he is, how perfect he is, and how how sufficient He is for us in all things and help us to trust in Him and Lord to trust Him wholeheartedly and choose Him over against all the other choices we could make instead. We want Lord to find the right path, to find the right doorway. We want our lives to bear the right kind of fruit so we ask you for the powerful help of the Holy Spirit so that our lives would be built well today in Jesus name, Amen. Amen. So Jesus is getting to the end here of a very important sermon. It's it's the most famous one, uh, and it's it's been a description stage by stage of characteristics of life in His kingdom, the the godly life, the life that God wants for people, uh, has been portrayed. It's like he's been holding up a diamond to the light and showing off different facets of it. But now he's getting to the point of closure where it's, it's actually not time for the, the different descriptions, but uh, rather an appeal to the will. Jesus is closing the deal, kind of like a salesman might do at the end of the conversation um, and you begin to realize oh I, I'm being <laughs> pushed in a corner I have to make a decision now. Do I take this or don't I? How am I responding to what's been pitched to me here? Jesus definitely wants to, to present us with a choice. He wants to say that you, you need to decide. You need to engage the is this Is this the kingdom you want to be part of or not? We we actually tend to avoid this naturally. We we are kind of attracted to a a place that we might consider neutral. We quite like the idea even of discussing religious things, discussing spiritual ideas. Quite like the idea of investigating. Christianity and and inquiring and looking into it and asking questions. And that's all good and and essential. Jesus gives us a lot of space for that. We need that. But you can kid yourself into thinking that you can do that indefinitely, that you have the luxury of forever and ever and ever treating Jesus and his kingdom as just a, a, a kind of, Objective subject of conversation, like I a, just thought. A sort of, well, it's 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 good to have opinions about this, and, and my opinion is this, and your opinion is that, and isn't that fascinating? And it's it's nice to just sort of engage in a little bit of spiritual discussion. But Jesus is saying something so much more challenging and demanding, in that He is telling you and me, each one of us, that there has to be a point of closure. There's a decision to be made. How will you respond to Jesus? That's it. The most important question actually that you'll ever have to face. Perhaps you've already faced it. Maybe you faced it years ago. Maybe you decided at a certain stage of life, I I know I want him. I choose him over all the other things. Maybe... Maybe you haven't chosen him yet. Maybe, in fact, you feel as though you've done the opposite. You've resisted him. Maybe you're here in church kind of reluctantly because, yeah, I, I don't believe this, but, you know, someone's dragged me along. But Jesus presents each one of us with this this, this decision. And we, we perhaps would prefer, like I say, to stay neutral. I often get in conversations with people which seem to end like that, where the person says, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll think about what you're saying and I'll, I'll consider it and I'll, I'll decide later on in my life. And I want to say, well, that's a decision in itself. A decision to sort of decide later is still a decision. You're still, you're still forming, you're closing around a certain position when you do that. You need to be aware of that. You can't ultimately stay neutral. You can't. You can't stay neutral any more than someone can stay with both feet, you know, one foot on the platform and one foot on the train. You can do that for a while. You, you can do that until the train starts to move. And then you realize, I've got to commit one way or the other. And, and Jesus, Jesus is saying that in this point of the time. He says, okay, the train's going to move. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Oh no no! I just I just I'm just interested in the discussion. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's excellent. I think it's marvelous. Good ethics. Very impressive. You would do very well on Radio Four. I'm very impressed with this. We could tweet most of this. It's excellent. Excellent. Well done. Very good. Jesus saying, Ah uh-uh, no no! You can't do that. You can't just commend. You can't just patronise into oblivion. The call of the kingdom. Are you choosing him or not? This is it. This is the obnoxious cry. Of, of this preacher called Jesus he wants to know where we stand he wants our response he wants to know what's in our heart each one and so he brings it to this this point of closure and it makes us realize that no one drifts into his kingdom no one ever has no one has ever successfully drifted into the kingdom of God drifting is a way to miss it if you drift, you, you, the way you go is the generic way that everybody goes. If you just go with the flow, you miss Jesus. You just do. That's what he's, he's getting at when he says that the way is easy and wide that leads to death. The normal way, the acceptable way, the popular way, the fashionable way, the, the, the way that no one seems to be all that upset about, the way that's kind of blending in nicely. Going with the current, going with the flow, going with the tide, that, that's, that's nice and easy. It's nice and convenient, but it leads to death. It's not the way you ultimately want to go. And, and if you simply drift, that's, I guarantee, the way you will go if you find the door that Jesus is describing, if you find the way, the narrow way that Jesus is calling you to, it's because you didn't drift. It's because you took the route that, that didn't seem convenient and comfortable. You made a decision that was radical. Jesus calls that out of us. That's his cry. And This is massive for us for so many reasons. Partly because we can imagine that the kingdom of God is a matter of drifting. Many people make this assumption. Over the the centuries, it's been done on different bases, but but people will still do it. There was a time when people would have said, I'm English, so I'm a Christian because I, I grew up in England. I'm born in England and England's a Christian country. That's less likely to be the case now, to be sure. People don't tend to think like that now. But it might, not be, it might not be the country you come from. It might be your family. Your family are all churchgoers maybe. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you come from another country which is way more churchgoing than Brighton is. And you're used to an atmosphere in your home where the Bible is assumed to be authoritative and Christianity is kind of unassailable. Jesus is, is yeah, we, we believe he's important and you've grown up under that that kind of canopy and it's made you assume from the start yeah I'm a Christian because what else would I be of course I'm a Christian but that's a dangerous assumption if I understand this because Jesus seems to be insisting on a personal response to him he's literally narrowing it down to one by one enter by the narrow gate You don't get to drift in on mass. It's not like huge. Mass conversions are definitely suspicious. They're not impossible. There are some in the Bible, but they're suspicious. They need to be investigated. Is each one of these people truly responding in their heart? Is this something that they've they've wanted, they've desired and chosen from that place? Jesus is... Drawing this out of each individual. Where do you personally stand? And let's face it, we can get into a spiritual kick in in, in, in cities like Brighton which which have generally resisted or, or rejected Jesus on mass. That would be the feel in, in 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 our city, very secular. But everybody tends to see themselves as spiritual. And everybody thinks they're really original saying so. Here's something you've never heard before. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. Everyone, everyone says that to me. They always say it like I'm going to give them a medal for saying something really unusual. Like, mate, you and everyone else here. That's everybody in Brighton says that. But even when we say that, it's revealing. Because I think the kind of spirituality that we're signing up to, generally speaking, is very different than what Jesus is talking about here. What we have in mind with spirituality, whatever we mean by that, it's a very loose, broad vague definition or undefined thing it's not really got a definition but whatever it is it's not likely to be the kind of worldview that shrinks you down to the limitation that Jesus is pushing on us here if you want to be spiritual and bright and go for it. everyone's very happy with you being spiritual but no one's ever going to say to you enter by the narrow gate walk the difficult path no, it's going to be, yeah, you're, you be spiritual as you. You do you. You just be yourself and be spiritual you. And that's fine. That's acceptable. That's the same as everybody else. That's, that's, that's all it takes is just for you to find your own path, for you to, to walk through the gate that you choose. It's all down to you. It's all within you. Jesus doesn't sound like that, does he? He really doesn't. Jesus Jesus sounds incredibly challenging Jesus brings a serious warning to us a heavy warning a weighty serious sobering warning even Jesus Jesus so gentle so generous so kind such a champion of the outsider You'd expect him to be all-inclusive, wouldn't you? But he's not, not here. You'd expect him to champion everybody's right to have their own set of beliefs, but he's not here. He's not. He's saying rather the opposite. He's saying, I'm sure he would say it if he was speaking instead of me today, it's easier to go to hell in Brighton. It's easy. I wish it wasn't true, but it's easy. It's much easier. And so we need to wake up to the reality. If the general trend of the culture is the the nice gentle, wide downhill slope into hell that looks attractive and easy, then I need to deliberately hunt down the wiser, ultimately safer path. Even if it looks narrower, even if it looks more difficult. And by the way, it may look difficult, but as we'll discover, the looks can be very deceiving. Because the whole point of this section of Jesus' teaching is not to go actually by just the looks, by by the immediate kind of gloss that seems to be on the path that we're going on. But to look more carefully, to look under the surface, to investigate it, that's, that's what he calls us to do. So let's, let's move on, actually, because interestingly, Jesus seems to be saying the danger the danger that you each face, that we each face as individual people, men and women, who have decisions to make about where we stand, what we trust, what, what we think about eternal matters, how we plan for the ultimate future... Each individual person, there there are dangers, and we're aware of dangers. Many of us feel increasingly aware of dangers. We're aware of international dangers. We're aware of economic dangers. We're aware of, of social, cultural dangers. We're aware of dangers even sometimes within our own family, within our relationships, within our own workplace. There are dangers that we feel more aware of just on the streets, we just sometimes feel a growing sense of unease and, and less secure sense of yeah. What is it? Does it feel really safe anymore? As it used to do when I was a kid. And many of us, as we get older, we get a bit more cynical about how secure it we can feel. And, and you're just aware of many, many dangers, global and domestic. The world seems dangerous. But Jesus, Jesus here is saying, actually, you know, the real danger that you need to be most on the lookout for. It's the danger that you wouldn't see coming. The danger that disguises itself particularly well. That's the more pertinent danger. See, what he's describing is actually danger that exists within the family of God, it seems, or at least within the, the church, within religion. And he really means it. You might think when he talks about the, the, the those who deceived when he talks about false prophets and he describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing you might think well he's just describing the pharisees who were jewish so he's talking about the difference between jews and christianity he's saying the jewish religion is all external And the Christian religion is all about the heart and internal things. And and so he's saying enough of the Jewish religion, enough of Moses, enough of the law. It's time for us to have a, a different approach to the things of God, to be more interested in the heart and the internal things. But that won't really do. Because even the way he describes in the last chunk we read just now, the way people respond to him on the day of judgment, it's showing people who are claiming to be Christians. It's people who say, look, I've done these things for you in your name. Do you notice? It's not just, it's it's people claiming to be Christians. In your name we cast out demons, we healed the sick and prophesied. In your name we did these things. So these are people who are not, they're not actually practicing Jews, they're practicing Christians. He's saying, yeah, amongst Christians, in the Christian church, there will be those who are set on deceiving true sheep, deceiving Christians, and they will look safe, they will look cuddly, they'll, they'll be wearing the right woolly clothes, <laughs> they'll have the right woolly disposition, you'll feel all safe and cuddly around them, you'll feel like, oh, this, I always oh, just so trust this lovely teacher or preacher or whatever, but actually you shouldn't, because although there's sheep's clothing underneath it, there's Vicious razor-sharp teeth and, and a malicious intent. And there is such a thing. Jesus is saying, your greatest danger, if you're a child of God, is not the big, bad world so much. I mean, the big bad world is dangerous, perhaps, but you know, there's greater danger in being deceived by people who have come to deceive, people who are teaching and preaching in the wrong direction. That's the that's the clear command of Jesus here, saying, watch out, be on your guard for, for those things that disguise themselves, even those people that disguise themselves as your Christian spiritual helper and friend, when in fact that may not be what they really are. And they do disguise themselves well. I've never come across a, a Christian book or a Christian podcast or Christian TV ministry that has a sticker warning on it saying, warning, this is wrong. You know, that, that's not... They, that's. There's good PR around these people. And, and and we we need to be much smarter at looking underneath the PR. You know, PR has gone back not just to madmen, you know, it's gone back to what Jesus says here. He's talking about the same thing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. It's been around from the beginning. People who know how to present. They know how to disguise. They know how to do PR. They know how to present as safe. But actually, no, that's not what's in their heart. So watch, Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Watch carefully. Find out what's really going on. Now, we might say, "How, how on earth are we supposed to? How am I supposed to be able to tell whether the Christian preacher? I mean, you're preaching right now. How do we trust you? How do we trust? Who do we trust? How do we know that someone's speaking legit? Jesus is giving us some wisdom even on that here. He says in in verse 16, just at the beginning, you will recognize them by their fruit. By their fruit. What does he mean by that? He actually, at the end of the paragraph, says it again. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, what he's going to describe is trees that bear different kinds of fruit. And he's saying, look, if you watch for long enough, you will notice what kind of life the teaching or the preaching brings about in people. You watch long enough. So you might think, well, how am I supposed to discern what teaching is good, safe, biblical teaching, and what isn't? Am I supposed to become a theological student? Am I supposed to get a PhD in biblical studies? How am I supposed to know? And honestly, the answer to the question here, at least, is no, you don't actually have to do that. That's fine. By all means, do get a PhD in biblical studies. Do get to know your Bible. For goodness sake, do. That's definitely helpful. And there are many places in the Bible that suggest that that is also helpful. If you want to be able to discern between truth and error, right teaching and false teaching, you do need to get to know this book. You really do. You do need to learn it and be wise about it. But... But it is interesting that in this place, Jesus doesn't even go there. Jesus doesn't in this place say, look, for goodness sake, there are false teachers out there, so read up, study up, learn the Greek, learn the Hebrew, learn the grammar. I want you to be brilliant. He doesn't say that. He says this. He says, watch the lifestyle that comes out of their preaching. Watch their life. Watch it. Then you'll see. Then you'll be able to see. You'll discern it when you watch the kind of lives that come out. that's pretty serious that's pretty scary especially if you're a preacher like me wow especially for a church it's like what kind of fruit what kind of lives get created by the teaching of the word here what kind of relationships what kind of atmosphere does it does it look like the sermon on the mount but that's the thing to watch for to watch the fruit and it's a little slower so so you 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 can dress a, a wolf up in a sheep's outfit, presumably fairly fast. Disguises can be put on quick. Superman can put on his costume in a moment. You, know, you can change clothes kind of quick. But you can't produce fruit instantly. You have to watch it. You have to watch how it comes slowly. When the Bible is being taught and preached in a community, the fruit gradually starts to show. Takes a little while, sometimes months, maybe years, you start to see the kind of decisions people are making, the kind of relationships on display, the kind of community life, the kind of the kind of things that you hope to see because of the Sermon on the Mount. You read the Sermon on the Mount, you think, what's the kind of community Jesus is after? And is it here? Is it anything like that here? What are they like, these people? Are they forgiving? Are they generous hearted? Are they showing mercy, but are they, are they not showing it in a show-offy kind of way? Is it, is it goodness, but not flashy goodness? Do they, do they forgive? Do they, do they have meekness? Or do they use power to control each other? Are they poor in spirit? Are they, are they aware of their own sin and the log in their own eye? Or are they judgmental? Are they, are they self-righteous? Are they constantly attacking one another? If, if that's the atmosphere in a church or even in a household, we need to say, God, what's gone wrong? There's something missing. There's a piece missing here. And that can happen. Churches, even families. I could, I'd say that in my own case. I think, God, often I have to look at what I'm creating in the relationships I've got think, Lord, Am I I showing the fruits of the Spirit? And is the community around me showing the fruits of the Spirit? And if not, help me to come back to Jesus. Help me to come back to what he teaches here. Because by their fruits, you'll know them. By the fruit that begins to show, you'll see what's really at the heart, what's under the surface in a community. So Jesus has given us a really handy way of discerning here. Look at the fruit. Look at the atmosphere. Not that everyone's extremely perfect in a kind of plastic pretend kind of way. In fact, it's fascinating. Think about this. This is a really worthwhile thing to close on and and spend some time on before we finish today. Because many of us would read this and understandably, quite rightly, feel challenged because it is challenging, but in an unhealthy way challenged because we misread it when we see Jesus saying, look, go through the narrow gate, take the difficult path, watch the fruit that's on the tree, watch carefully, lots of falsehood out there, it can cause us to respond, to, to react with a kind of meticulous, outward perfectionism where we think, yeah, I'm going to really go through the narrow, narrow gate then. I'm going to take the difficult path because that's what Jesus wants. He wants me to be basically very burdened with pressure, rules, and the resulting misery. Because that's what he's after on planet Earth. He wants miserable people representing him and then floating off afterwards to heaven to a miserable place where we can all frown. That's what he's that's what he came to create on the world. And we, we read it because we think we think of it just in terms of outward show or or you know, sort of harsh, heavy oppressive keeping of rules. But, but actually, think with me about the, Mount, the Sermon on the Mount and what we've been going through week after week. You will notice that the target that Jesus has in his sights, the target, the thing he's after, the thing he wants to really bring down is actually not, unrighteous behaviour so much people being flagrantly sinful Now he he's certainly would preach against that for sure he does in places in the Gospels but look at it carefully realize the thing he's targeting is not unrighteousness so much as self-righteousness if you read the Sermon on the Mount carefully you'll see that's the consistent target Jesus is constantly coming back to self-righteousness. Jesus is saying the great enemy, the great danger, the greatest problem, the greatest temptation we will have is that we will try to build a righteousness on our own feeble attempts to be good people, to be somehow so good that God is somehow forced to accept us. Because we, we hit the target, we met the standard, we were good enough, we, we cleared the bar and now he's got to let us in. You look at the way Jesus deals with that. Even here, in this last bit we read, you notice these, these people that he describes arguing with him on judgment day. I mean, think of it, the kind of audacity of people trying to put him right. Did we not do these things in your name? Did we not cast out demons, heal the sick, prophesy in your name? What's coming out there? What's coming out is complete self-confidence, self-righteousness. Building all of our hopes on how well we are doing. On our own apparently spiritual achievements, our own moralism, our own behavior. Jesus is saying, enough. It's a disaster. Do not go there. And it comes out again, and again in the Sermon on the Mount. You keep seeing this, this, this Jesus deconstructing all of those bases for confidence. And so the thing he's after is self-righteousness, whether it's Jewish or Christian. doesn't matter. Any kind of Phariseeism, any kind of building our confidence in our own works. That's what he's after. And Friends, this is still... A massive danger for us. This is still the most sinister false teaching. You might think, oh, of all the things that could be false teaching out there in the church, what's the worst kind of false teaching? Well, it seems from here the worst kind of false teaching is the kind of teaching that causes people like you and me to think that we are somehow righteous enough that we don't really need a savior. That's the most dangerous teaching you could possibly hear and you need to resist it with all your heart you need to flee from it you need to see it as the broad easy path that leads to destruction any church teaching any preaching any Christian I don't care how Christian it is any podcast anything that in the end leaves you not thinking that you are a sinner needing a saviour but leaves you thinking, you can handle it by just, by just... It's all about how good you are and how great you are and just, just step up in this area and it's all about how, how resourceful you are inwardly. You've got, to, you've got to unleash the hero inside you. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost not exaggerating because the reality is books like that fly off the shelves and not just in the world, but in the church. And what they don't do is they don't bring you and me into face-to-face contact with the, the, the sad but necessary part of ourselves that we need to see. We need to be confronted with our need, we need to, otherwise there's no way in, this is the only way in. This is why Jesus starts the whole Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Honestly, I think the sad reality is that there's probably some cases of people that have been in Christian circles for years and years and years and never really heard that before. Because what they keep hearing is actually ultimately more kind of self-affirmation. And more stuff about how you can do it. You can in fact change the world. Not only are you fantastic, but you're the answer to all the world's problems. Yeah, you got it. You go and change the world. You make it a better place. Jesus wants us to change the world, but man, does he want us to start a few steps back. He wants us to see, oh God, change me. God, please help me. I'm in terrible need of a saviour and we actually do our best when we stay there we live there, we make it our place of safety, we don't move on you might think, "Well, yeah, I I, I hit that moment back in the the time when I became a Christian I'm so glad that's behind me, now I'm much more self-confident careful, no you stay there, you live there every day you wake up every day saying God thank you for grace Thank you that you're a great saviour. I I receive grace every day. I come back to a gracious God. I come back on the basis of your mercy alone, your grace alone. That's the only basis for my hope. Otherwise, I'm really just like these ones that will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Imagine the God of the universe on the crucial day having that to say to you. I never knew you. How how could he know me? What's the way? How can I make myself known to him? And I thought he did know but I thought he was omniscient doesn't that mean he knows everything yeah there's a difference between knowing everything in that sense of being aware but the Bible doesn't just mean that when it uses the word know there's such a way of knowing that it takes it to another level you can know something as a fact but then you can know that thing intimately you can know about a person But surely you realise there's a difference between knowing about a person and knowing that person. God has has created us for the second kind. He doesn't want to know about you, He wants to know you and you are made to know Him. You're made for fellowship, for relationship. My friend, there's only one way into that, the narrow gate of abandoning all our self-righteousness, all of our self-confidence. Saying, I I give it up, I quit trying to impress you, impress me, impress the world, whatever, I'm done with that, I receive grace, I come as a beggar, I come to receive, I come to your table, I come to eat bread and wine, I take body and blood, I take it as the gift of God to me in Christ, because there's no other basis for hope that will do for me, I must have Jesus, have you ever come to that point? Have you yourself come to that point? I'm not saying have your parents come to that point. Have you yourself come to that point? Don't say, yeah, I, I've, tried, I've tried hard to be a Christian. I've tried to work. I tried to do the right things. I tried even to do what my parents did. I didn't ask you that. You carry on thinking like that. You're still in the, in the self-righteous zone. Quit that. Give up on that. Somebody says, yeah, I'm trying hard to be a Christian. I'm not sure if you've even understood what a Christian is then. Because a Christian is someone who's ultimately given up on their own efforts, on their attempts. Enter through the narrow gate. It's different than what you think, isn't it? You think it means be a spiritual hero. That's not his point. No, blessed are the poor in spirit. Enter through the narrow gate, the humbling narrow gate of grace. I come back to what Jesus said, what Jesus taught. The great danger is that I will be building my confidence on the wrong thing altogether because what I need is Jesus. I, I, I want to I uh, find, find the, the way to bear good fruit. Jesus says, I am, John 15, I am the true vine. If you abide in me, you'll bear good fruit. I want to find the gate, the door. How do I find the door? What's the right way to live to find the door? Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the door. Some of us is, I want to find the way. I, I, I believe you. I get this whole thing. The narrow way, the difficult way. I get it. Where is this way? How do I find the way? Jesus says, I am the way. John chapter 14. In fact, I love this. Let me read it to you. John chapter 14. We'll close with this. He says this to his disciples the night he was arrested. He says this Let not your hearts be troubled. That's a nice phrase to hear isn't it after a sermon like this enter through the narrow gate take the difficult path it sounds terrifying sounds wearying sounds oppressive doesn't it christianity seems oppressive right i remember when i was a teenager the last thing i wanted to do was follow jesus because it seemed oppressive to me it seemed, it seemed heavy to me. It seemed like the enemy. The last thing I want to do is follow Jesus. I'd lose everything and gain nothing. But my friends, it's all PR. Because what I thought I'd find was relief and joy in the world. In the stuff I was into with my friends at school and the, the sin and the wretched stuff I was way into and couldn't get myself out of. Some of it was just appalling. <laughs> I thought following Jesus no thank you that's miserable but it was all PR it was all, it was all clever manipulation when Jesus says this path is difficult that path is easy he's talking about how it appears remember the whole point of this passage wolves in sheep's clothing you, they look trustworthy but they're not you come to Jesus it's going to be hard following Jesus it's going to be tough it's going to be difficult and then Jesus says my yoke is easy My burden is light. Let me take the weight off your shoulders. It's going to be oppressive. It's going to be difficult. You're going to put a big burden on my back. No, Jesus is going to take the burden off your back. He's going to carry it himself. Yeah, you'll get burdens. He'll he'll put a cross on you for sure. But you'll find he carries the heavy end of it. He does all the real work. He carries you along with him. You feel sometimes the pressure as you're a Christian following Jesus. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough sometimes. But it's the right kind of tough. It's the right kind of tough. The kind of tough out there. I don't even want to think about it. The kind of tough when I can never shift this sense of guilt. I can never get rid of my shame. I can never deal with the past. I can never deal with it. Always feel so guilty. How do I get rid of this and go to the therapist and get the paperbacks and try and make myself feel better and get my mental health deteriorating rapidly? That's the way our city's going. That's the terrible mess that our culture's in. Because they won't come to Jesus. who said, let me take your burdens. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. It's light. My commands are not burdensome. So Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, who's just like me, says, Lord, we do not know the way you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way. That's all you need to know, actually. Jesus, I come to you. I come to I, I, you are the Lord. I trust you. I leave behind my self-righteousness, my own plans for my life, my overconfidence, my, my own trajectory. I just trust you, Jesus. I need a saviour and I trust you. You died on the cross for me, for my sin and you rose again from the dead, declared vindicated, righteous. I want your righteousness, I want your future, I want your hope, not mine. I want my hopes all dead and buried, I want yours, I want Jesus. If that's how you see things right now, if in your heart you're saying, I want Jesus, my friend, you just found the narrow way, you just found the gate, that's it. The train's moving, so step on right now, step on right now, trust in Jesus. Jesus, not religion, not self-righteousness, not your moral behavior. Trust Jesus. Let's just pray right now.